can we all articulate the story clearly? And can we do that almost at the drop of a hat? Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Mark Wally, Chief Executive of STEP. STEP is the Global Professional Association for those advising families across generations. Their mission is to inspire confidence in families planning their assets across generations by setting and upholding high professional standards, informing public policy, promoting education, and connecting practitioners globally to share knowledge and best practice. Mark will share with us the moment that crystallized for him and his board that they needed to rewrite their vision and mission, some of the tools they've used to prioritize and focus their limited resources to make the biggest strategic impact, and what he sees as the challenges and opportunities for STEP as they enter China as a market. Mark, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, just to get us started, perhaps you could tell us a bit about yourself and about STEP. Okay, thanks, Belton. So I joined STEP in January 2019. Originally, I'd left school and gone straight into banking. Spent nearly 26 years with Barclays, in fact, and the latter 10 years in uh, the International Wealth Management Division. Um Having left Barclays, I went out and consulted for a couple of years, uh, working with other banks and uh, looking at change programs, mostly around sales and service culture change in those organizations, working right across the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. Left that organization, I went to work for what had been my professional body, the uh, Chartered Institute of Bankers. And uh, that, that was my first step into the world of professional bodies and uh, educational bodies. A couple of years with the um, Chartered Institute and uh, then an opportunity came up with Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors and uh, spent eight years there looking after their EMEA region. Uh, so familiar territory for me, but also with a global remit as part of the uh, executive board there. And then um, two, two and a half years ago, the opportunity to join STEP came up. And STEP is a global professional body. We're all about providing confidence to the families Mm -hmm. that they're advising. And we do that by underpinning that confidence through setting standards, providing training and education, and of course, then upholding those standards. I'm operating in a world now that is all about uh, wealth management and advice for families. And it kind of brought me back to some of the things I was doing with Barclays all those years ago. And Mark, just to get a sense of scale, how many countries do you have some representation of STEP? We've got 22,000 members across over 100 countries the Society of Trust and Estates Practitioners, and the the individual members um, hold a designation with a TP, Trust and Estates Practitioner. They're internationally recognized experts in their field, um, approaching 15,000 of full TEPs. Um, It's over 100 countries or jurisdictions uh, where they're operating. And the very latest of those, uh, we've just opened a branch, is China. 
for all the reasons that one might imagine. You know, the world's second largest economy, the fastest growing wealth management sector in the world. And also they're heading towards the first intergenerational transfer of wealth. So if you think about the history of China and uh, the, the, the rise of um, capitalism in China, and those who were in the first wave of making their money are about to transfer that wealth or have started transferring that wealth to the next generation. And really interesting, actually, in my days at Barclays, I spent some time working with the Chinese banks to get um, introduction arrangements organised, particularly for students coming into the UK. There'd be something like 30,000 students coming from China every year into the UK. They couldn't get fully functioning bank accounts because they couldn't fulfil the Know Your Customer criteria. So we did some bank-to-bank -bank arrangements to help facilitate that. And interestingly, many of those students now are the ones who are probably inheriting the wealth. And whether they were Barclays customers or not doesn't really matter, but they got a taste for Western standards, uh, both of quality advice and of service. And those typically aren't available in China in the same way that we would see them in the Western world. There were similar numbers or more also going to Canada every year, to the US every year and to Australia. It was a huge cohort of rising professionals in China who are used to a different level of service, a different quality of service. They want more of it. So there's this huge opportunity there. Yeah, I guess that could take us into a rather deep discussion about China and reputation and whether you think this rising cohort will make a big difference to the way China works? Clearly, there are a number of risks we've had to consider in, in executing part of our strategy to, to open up in China. And some of that is, is around the reputational risk. Um, and, and we've stayed very focused, actually, on what's our purpose. Um, and our purpose is all about providing confidence to families through everything that we do with the practitioners. Whilst, of course, we have a, a number of trigger points in our work there that would say, actually, if this happens, then we would have to seriously consider whether we would stay. Um, our big focus is providing qualifications, education and upholding standards and driving those increased standards in the wealth management industry, and trust and estates practitioner industry in China, rather than getting ourselves um, involved in the political situation in China per se. We're an apolitical organisation and we've stayed true to what is it we're here to do and the same requirements that you'd see in the other hundred or so jurisdictions around the world are there in terms of what the market, the end consumer is wanting and what we can bring to those professionals that are operating in that mm -hmm. market. Mm -hmm. so, so you've articulated this purpose around confidence and family. Was that what Steps said it's about for a very long time or did that kind of crystallise after you joined? So that's been around for a long time, actually. And Step's 30 years old as an organisation. Um, so you know, we've had rapid growth. But actually, the objects for which the company was established were a limited company. Um, 
we previously described ourselves as not-for-profit. Um, we now tend to describe ourselves as profit for purpose. And what's the profit or what's the purpose that we might apply our profit to, our surplus, if we have a surplus in any given year? Well, that's to deliver against our objects. And they're very clear in our articles. And they've been there all the time. They provide a forum for individuals drawn from legal accountancy, corporate trust and other professions to promote discussion of aspects of tax, accounting, administration, statute and case law to advance knowledge and learning in respect of trust and estates and allied subjects, encourage and promote the study of trusts and estates practice and to educate members of the public, including practitioners. It's also to organise and hold conferences and meetings for that discussion and dissemination, uh, research um, in this and to maintain the requisite standards for practitioners and hold appropriate examinations for them in, in the topic. So that's been in our articles since day one. Ours are very defined and always have been. What we have done in recent times is codified what that means for us today. Mm -hmm. Were you around when that codification was done? Because then I'll ask you how it happened. The previous uh, strategic intent was set out in 2016. And so as I was recruited into the organisation, there was a clear desire from the board to look again at the strategy and make sure that we were fully aligned with what we wanted to be as an organisation going forward. So, yeah, I've been hugely involved in uh, developing a new strategy, which we published in December uh, last year. Yeah, what was the process involved? Uh, well, huge amounts of pre-work. So, I mean, the first first months for me in the organisation were really to get under the skin and, uh, and to truly understand how we operate, what we actually do, um, what opportunities there were, uh, what potential threats there were, um, but, but also really to understand more about the markets that we operate in and why we operate there and uh, what it is we're bringing to those markets. And, and interestingly, and I think this is the same for many professional body organisations, that out of the, the whole that we can offer in any particular market, there might be a smaller number of things that we're particularly focused on. The same would be true in a commercial company as well, I know. Um, so in terms of what we did, the, the classic lock ourselves in a hotel for a few days as a board, and including the executive and the non-executive team. Our non-executives are all members of STEP, they're TEPs. Um, so they're all practitioners in this world. And the executive team are the, the hired professionals who bring communications, finance, HR, marketing skills uh, to the table. And it was really interesting because in my first period here, the list of things that we could do and people felt that we should do was an ever-growing list. Like in most organisations, the appetite for things to be done is huge. The capacity for things to be done is limited by resources. So there were very clearly some choices that we needed to make. And part of narrowing down all those choices um, was forcing, if you like, some choice for people. So looking at statements, you know, do we believe X or Y about a particular statement? 
And where we got lots of agreement, then that would help steer us. Where we had some dissonance, that might steer us as well to, to explore a bit more. But we were able to use that work to take this huge, huge list of things we might do and start narrowing it down into things that actually we felt uh, would make a difference. And then the next part of that really was say, okay, so once we've narrowed down, what are the things that we need to do? And th there was no way in two days locked in a hotel, you're going to come out with a fully formed strategy. And what we were able to do was come out with some very clear steps as to what we were going to do next to actually build our strategy and get a clear plan of implementation that sat with that. The other really interesting thing that we did um, was had a look at our vision and our mission statement as an organisation. Those had been around for a number of years. And there the were the usual two ends of the debate on this. One end of the debate saying, they're fine, let's not waste any time on it. And the other end of the debate saying, they need refreshing and uh, let, let's spend some time now working that out. Uh, I, I was much closer to the uh, they'll do end of that scale. But, but equally, you know, it's not, it wasn't about me. Uh, but I think the killer moment in that discussion was asking people if they could say what the vision and the mission were. And once we realised that the majority of the room did not know them or could not articulate them consistently, we took that off as a separate work stream, a couple of volunteers to, to do the heavy lifting of rewriting them until they'd been honed to something that we all felt we could sign up to. Were they dramatically different? No. But did the group then feel ownership of them? Absolutely. And that was the big difference. Mm -hmm. And did, did that process lead then to this sort of articulation around families and confidence? Yeah, that had been there in various iterations of what we do for quite some time. But we actually drew it together rather better, I think, in this latest iteration. We've ended up with a, a vision of being globally recognised as setting the standard for those advising families across generations. And for us, that broke down into three parts. Globally recognised, it alludes to the role of setting standards, being the best at what we do. And then advising the families across generations. It's what connects our members to their clients. It's what connects members to each other because they're often referring business uh, where they need a different specialist to help those families. That was sharpened rather than dramatically changed. And the same with our mission. And so we wanted to inspire confidence in families planning their assets across generations by setting and upholding high professional standards informing public policy, promoting education and connecting practitioners globally to share knowledge and best practice. So if you sort of think back to what I talked about in our ob objects, it's all there. Yeah. So a lot of continuity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That thread has always been there. We were very much trying to make sure that it was still relevant um, and also had relevant language for, for what we are now and how we do things. There's been a lot of continuity, but it sounds like the purpose has been sort of more enduring and a bit of a refresh on the strategy. Has that sort of been the rhythm to it? I think that's a fair description. And again, remember the organization is only 30 years old. Mm -hmm. 
So in, in evolution of an organization terms, we're, um, we're at that stage of having grown quite rapidly. Um, we've over a hundred branches around the world, 110 branches. Um, that's relied on a huge amount of entrepreneurship from volunteer members all around the world. And that's fueled the growth and the influence of the organization. What we're having to do now is um, take stock a little bit and saying, well, actually, has the core of the organization, has it got the processes, procedures, um, the support facility for that type of growth going forwards? Or did we need to bring in a few more structured ways of doing things? And that, that's part of our journey and absolutely we need to do that and same for any business you get to a point where Dorothy who looks after accounts suddenly isn't there anymore and uh, so all the processes and procedures that were locked away in their mind um, you suddenly need on paper <laughs> and and if you think about you know a, a central office trying to do that with a hundred satellite organizations there's a lot of coordination needs doing and you know, part of our success has been that entrepreneurship and just getting on with things. Um, however, we're at that stage in growth where unless we do something to help ourselves around that, um, it'll start to hinder us. And do you ever have any sense that the purpose and the strategy might not be completely lined up? How do you get them or keep them in alignment? So... I mean, the strategy that we developed at, at Away Day, I'd like to think, was absolutely aligned. We did end up with a bunch of things that we weren't going to do just now, uh, but no, that's that's choice. That's what strategy is all about. <laughs> um, we've also committed to revisit. Um, mm. There's been a annual strategy day for the board and and others, spending a couple of days. Together, there's so much spontaneity in that environment and the conversations that you have over lunch and dinner and breakfast that just don't happen if you're meeting in the office and staying somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, it's lots of, lots of alignment between the strategy and the purpose. Um, but we are committed to making sure that we repeat those away days but at the same time, we're also checking in, and, we, and we've just done this actually a, a couple of months ago, ready for something in September, um, of saying, well, actually, what else do we need to know to help us make sure that we're still, still, even only a year later, on course with the strategy? Because so much has changed in, you know, because of the pandemic and the impact that's had on businesses. If you look back on how you've gone about developing your strategy and particularly getting it aligned to this enduring purpose, is there anything in there you're particularly proud of that you think that was really well done? Getting the non-exec group together with the executive group and establishing that actually we're all equals in the room. Um, was a really important part for us um, and recognizing what everybody brought to that discussion. Um, 
that that I think was one of the big things. And I think the the other thing that I would draw out is actually the the polarities exercise that I talked about earlier. Um, that helped a group of what were we 12, 15 people look at a huge list of things that we could potentially get involved in and narrow it down considerably and do that in a structured way so that everybody felt heard and all the topics got aired but everybody could come away from the table and say well actually yeah, we've picked the most important ones that gave immense power to the group discussions but it also then allowed us um, to feel extremely confident as we started to socialize the strategy wider across the organization we've got a council that we need to keep uh, actively engaged and informed so we were able to talk them through that and then as we've gone wider with our stakeholders to be able to explain to them that this is what we're doing this is why this is how it supports our, our vision and our mission um, I think that's been really helpful to us as well. We said as an organisation, um, we wanted to grow, but it wasn't about chasing membership numbers. It was about growing the influence and reach of the profession. As a, uh, an organisation that's focused on that discussion, that best practice, uh, the education, we had a huge opportunity to demonstrate real thought leadership and giving others a reason to engage with us. Mm -hmm. And what's an example of one of those topics? So one example is the use of trusts to educate um, as to what trusts are used for in a way that's really powerful and really adds value to society. Because if you go back to the origins of trusts, right back to the Crusades, leaving assets in the control of somebody else while you're away. Uh, and there are so many uses of trusts that have grown up over the years. And you'd have to say that 99.999, however many times recurring, trusts are used for really good, sensible purposes. Um, and you know, as with all things in life, there's a few people and to very few people might play at the margins, but that's what's gained public attention. Um, so, so we're seeking to really re redress that balance uh, in that. In the past, there was a lot of focus on tax planning, how to do that efficiently with the intergenerational transfer. I think today it's far more about how do we make this happen in a sensible and seamless way, um, given the complexity of families now compared to even 30 or 40 years ago when it was the nuclear family and kind of everybody was around, the assets tended to be in one place, by place I mean jurisdiction, uh, yeah, maybe two. Um, but as we've got complex families with uh, multiple generations, it might not be the first marriages, so the kids there are stepkids kind of all that complication and uh, we're all more mobile now so the family have tended to disperse um, across the globe and suddenly the planning that somebody might have done for a single jurisdiction doesn't work anymore because the rules somewhere else are different and so the intended gift or the intended transfer 
can't necessarily work in the same way. So you know, it's hugely important that people have thought that through, can speak to a trusted advisor or a network of advisors to, to be able to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just coming back to the sort of the process and how you went through the strategy and linking that back to your purpose, was there anything in there that you found difficult or you thought could have been better? Anything other people might learn from your experience? I would say, and I think this is a a repeat offence in my life and probably in most organisations actually, Um, be realistic about what you can do and the pace at which you can do it. Change is hard. Uh, There's a lovely phrase an old boss of mine used to use that uh, only wet babies like change. Um, yeah, another version of that is when you do a change program, a third will be with you, a third will be sat on the fence, and a third will be actively denying change. Uh, kind of whichever version you buy into, um, it, change is a big process and it's got to be actively managed and continually managed. So um, whether that's a change in what some people are having to do to follow a new strategy, whether that's a change in their perception of what the organisation's about and how it should go about things. That's another thing that's got to be managed through. And and also for the team that are managing that change, most of the team that are doing this have been there for a while. It's quite unusual to have a whole new leadership team in place. And all of those people are going through that same range of emotions as well. They've got the advantage of having been in the room, but of course people bring their baggage with them. so it does have to be eternally managed, and that takes time. So be, be careful about the time frames you might think you can achieve, but also be careful about the number of things. And this goes back to my consulting days uh, that uh, I've got a rule of five, that you only ever do five things maximum. Frankly, once you get past five, nobody remembers them all. So they're not quite sure what the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth are. And frankly, um, if you've got a group of people trying to deal with 10 things, well, actually, you've got several groups of people mm. trying mm. to do some yeah, of those well, things. I, I'd say you, I might accuse you of optimism and suggesting that a number like three might be even better. But yeah, no, no I know how hard it is to, to limit it to even five. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you wish I had? Um, there's a little bit of... There's a sort of myth, I think, around strategy. I don't know if it's a myth. Um, people are frightened of strategy, I find. And for many people, that you know, when you ask them what's strategy, uh, there's a very confused answer. You know, one person's strategy is another person's tactics. And the best definition I've heard of strategy was it's, it's all about making choices. Um, you know, given your available resources, what choices do you want to make? And I think if we can help debunk the discomfort around strategy for people, that would be a great thing. There's a little bit of a myth around it needing people with brains the sizes of planets or uh, that they must have had a huge formal education. I mean, I say this as somebody who left school and went straight to work. Um, yeah, whoever would have thought I'd have been leading an organisation that had professional standards, ethics and everything else at, at the heart of it. But when I think about how I was brought up, there's absolutely a reason why that would have happened. To me, it's 
yeah, get get a decent strategy in place and put your effort into executing it. And with the right help, guidance and support, I genuinely think that most people can do that if they've got the motivation to do it. I'm a massive advocate of having facilitators um, help a group. And yeah, as, a, as a CEO, I want to be part of the group and I need a facilitator to allow me to play that role. Otherwise, I'm playing the role of the facilitator and then I can't be a part of the group in the same way. So I think there are um, there's huge value in getting external people in. And if somebody's got a good sense of your business and got a good sense of what strategy is and how it works and the, you know, the, the pitfalls that we might be facing, then that's brilliant. Equally, you know, having a, you know, a firm come in and say, we've evaluated and this is what it might look like. I can see value in that, but I'm not sure I would sign up to the, and that's the end answer to me. It would be, okay, so how do we then, how do we then grab hold of it and own it? Good. Well, Mark, it's been really interesting kind of getting your perspective on, on a number of things, some of which, uh, you know, I know because we've worked together before, but some of which were new as ever. Always something new. Um, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Belton. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to me, belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available at www.mancus.com, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly, though we are taking a short break over the summer and will return on the 31st of August. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.